My name is Patrick Zorro and welcome to the University Club podcast. Today's guest is uh, Robert Schregast. Um, I met Bob uh, several years ago while we both worked uh, for a French investment bank in New York. And I found him to be uh, well-liked and quite knowledgeable. At that time, uh, he was known as Shrek. So I, I invited him to uh, come and share with us what life uh, was like and is like on the trading floor of a capital market platform. Uh, Bob is a graduate of Georgetown University. And uh, I guess uh, we can start by asking him while he's uh, fudging with his paperwork, uh, uh, why Washington, uh, why New York, and uh, why the trading floor, but most importantly, why Shrek? <laughs> well, I guess to start out with the easiest one, my last name being Shregas, sp spelt with S-H-R-E-K, and being that uh, trading uh, desk people are... Uh, aren't necessarily known as being uh, uh, easy on people. I, I couldn't get away that away from that. So uh, I am uh, forever known as Shrek, which is uh, a lot easier to pronounce than, than Shregas with all its consonants together. So, um, yeah, I, I, I went to Georgetown University. It was a, I, was, I was born here in New York City, and um, I went to Seton Hall for undergraduate school. I, I worked uh, for some Wall Street firms doing some underwriting uh, before I decided to go back to Georgetown. And, and Georgetown at the time was just, uh, for me, you know, it was a very uh, central place full of, uh, you know, um, a lot of political activity at the time. And um, uh, it was, it was uh, had a lot of characters just like New York. I, I think it was good for me to get out of New York at the time. But uh, uh, I worked, my last bank I worked for was uh, BNP Paribas. I, I joined them um, when I was working in the high-yield un underwriting uh, loan syndications group. Uh, when I resigned to go to grad school, I actually uh, came back to BNP, but in a different role on the capital markets, uh, on the bond side and, uh, and CDS side. Okay. So um, why, um, why trading? Why trading? Um what what attracted you to this uh, type of work originally? Well, I started my career as as a CPA, and um, early on, uh, and I, I got quite a bit out of it. You know, um, you know, some people might think it's boring, but you tend what well, depends on what you worked on. I I had some very large corporate clients. I worked for KPMG, and uh, one of my clients was Citibank. Um, and just what I found personally for me is that although I was learning quite a bit. Um, I, I'd rather be the one creating the work that other people were reviewing than reviewing the actual work. And uh, when I was at Citibank, I was working in a consulting role, uh, reviewing their uh, different structured finance products. And that's where I was int introduced to loan syndications. I was hired onto that desk. Uh, uh, it was mostly investment grade. Uh, so I was doing the whole gambit from, you know, pitching books to writing up the prospectuses after we won and uh, dealing with investor calls. Uh, most of uh, Citibank's business at the time was was investment grade. Uh, so then I moved over to, to BNP Paribas uh, because they had a, a different market um, footprint. They were a lot of mill market deals, unrated deals or, 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 or junk rated deals. And uh, they required a lot more um, uh, credit savvy, a lot more analytical work uh, to really dig into the nuts and bolts uh, to get investors to buy off and, and, and price and, and, and clear those deals. 
Um, I did that for a couple of years and then um, I resigned to go back to grad school full time. And as I said before, after grad school, I, I came back in a different role. And uh, do you actually need, well, what about, do you need credit? Do you need to understand credit um, to work on well, the that's a, that's a good question. Well, that, that's a good question. Now, if you're starting out and, um, you know, I guess the intent, uh, the intent of, of this is, is, is kind of an informal and introductory uh, discussion of, of Wall Street capital markets, particularly credit capital markets, where I spent most of my time. Um, the answer is yes and no. It depends. If you get in on a, um, uh, you know, some sort of associates or analyst program um, and you happen to get through that, it's uh, you don't necessarily uh, need to. Uh, in fact, if, if you go down the sales route, I did mostly sales and structuring in the capital markets. Now you have pure traders. Um, you have research people. That, that makes up the front office. But then there are also the back office where I have a lot of settlement activities and compliance uh, and a bunch of roles in the back office. Um, I worked on the front office. I worked on, on sales. Um, but if, if you're doing sales and marketing, uh, quite honestly, um, you might not need to have a, a complete finance background. In fact, sometimes it's an advantage if if you have some other specialty, it just makes you more interesting. Now, that doesn't mean that you ha you can't learn your trade. I mean, it's just like um, you know, understanding duration and and, and convexity uh, and uh, the you know terms of bonds and CDS. Those are your tools, like like any other uh, like like any other contractor will have his 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 nails and his hammers and his saws and and, and those are the basic tools that you have, but. Uh, when, when you join some sort of associates or analyst program, they'll teach you a lot and, and you're required to learn. But I guess to sum up your answer as a sales per person that's responsible for interacting uh, with people, so, uh, sometimes it could be an advantage uh, to, to have studied something other other than finance because it's, it's good to have a broad background, something that makes you in interesting. Uh, a lot of marketers uh, actually are, are – Former athletes, you know, uh, Division One athletes or, you know, retired NBA athletes. You often see people like that in there. Um, traders are, are just kind of another breed. Uh, they, um, you know, it, it certainly helps to have an academic background. Uh, but uh, it, it's really a mentality of, of making money. And, and it's hard to kind of describe uh, uh, over a call, but you would kind of see that. You know, when you know it, you know, are, are you interested in the markets? You know, did you uh, did you happen to play the, you know, uh, the different like NCAA tournament brackets, you know, uh, stuff like that? It's, it's kind of a natural, competitive, personal thing. Now, as far as research and structuring goes, yes, that helps very much to 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 have a, a background in, it. in the research. Uh, you're responsible to most likely it's uh, it's broken down by uh, an industry, so you'll know, need to know within an industry everything that's going on uh, with encyclopedic knowledge. Uh, understand what the implications and the drivers uh, for their uh, balance sheet and investment statement, um, income statement, and um, really be able to speak on the fly on and stay on top of all those names. Yeah, it's interesting because you just brought up uh, two new terms. So we were talking about uh, trading, the trader. But then there's also on the trading floor, there is a researcher, which you're describing, but there's also, also the structure as well. 
how do they all interact with each other? What's the um, this a symbiosis relationship? Is this uh, a there certainly is now. Um, a little structuring aside for a moment, um, but when you're dealing with a, a, a capital markets desk, and let's do it from the secondary. There's there's two types of deals, right? You, you have your investment bank if it's a, if it's a large bank and they're trying to win deals for you mandates. Let's say they might get an IPO or win an IPO for an equity underwriting or a big bond deal for some sort of acquisition or just a bond, you know, to refinance some debt they have coming due, right? They win that mandate and uh, they bring that underwriting to you and you bring a new deal to the market. That, that's one way you get money. But one of the reasons why you, you, you can do that is because you have liquidity in the market and that's all secondary trading. Those are all existing securities, existing bonds, that are out there, and you're buying and selling, and you're you're making um you're making money by by the bid offer. Uh, you're not there to have a portfolio in a trading book, although there are positions within a trading book. But and the income from that is called carry. But you're not there to make carry. You're there to make bid offer, buy a bond here, and you sell a bond there. And uh, occasionally, if you know, you, you do have some uh, some uh, realized gain or loss from where you buy it and where you sell it um, and, and the book, and then you have some carry. But the, the trading book is the driver of the profits, first and foremost. And uh, the trader has to know his sector. Again, like research people, traders basically uh, break themselves down into particular sectors. And they talk with brokers in the market all day. However, um, salespeople... Uh, in the symbiotic relationship here, they uh, they talk to the market, they talk to other clients, they find out what the market wants to do. And you need really good salespeople because the buy side accounts that we're dealing with, um, they could have as many as 30 different desks to talk to. So, you know, how are they going to drive their business? Well, one, if they get along well with their salesperson, he provides useful information, um, they're going to want to deal with him. Uh, and you, the information is valuable because um, sometimes the best trades you do are the best trades that you don't do. And what I mean by that is sometimes uh, you get information that something's going on in the market. And, um, you know, say I'm one of the first persons to learn it. I, I learn it from a buy side account. Um and I can tell my trader, and then he'll know he should not trade in that account, or I said, let's say go long and you know buy security in that account, um, and then I could have saved him a lot of money. Uh, so the salesperson is very important, not only to, to bring information, but he's driving the trades, right? So when you're in a business that does buy and selling, buy and selling all the day, you need the, the uh, buy side accounts to come to you to make those transactions happen. And when I when I work with you, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but when I work with you, I was on the buy side, and and it's essentially that's the role that you had. You were you were the go between with the trader and I guess the buyer, which uh, I represented at that time. Yes, yeah, you represented a, you rep, you represented a, a, the the buy side portfolio for for the bank, and I would call on you, and um, you would ask me for different market prices, uh, particularly for CDS, which I believe you used it to hedge your portfolio of, of bank loans. And, um, you know, it's a life market and there's different maturities of contracts you could trade with me. And, um, you know, I would give you different prices and I would tell you, hey, sometimes I would say, 
I'll be honest with you because honestly, yeah, you, you have your reputation. That's that's key. And you don't live for every trade. You, you, you're not running a sprint to get a trade done. It's, it's a marathon where I want you to call me. You can pick up a phone and call anyone. Why are you going to call me? Because sometimes I'll call you and I'll say, well, Patrick, you know, the price of this right here, I could sell this uh, five-year CDS contract at 100 basis points. But I, I think there's a better axe. There's a better seller out there for me. And, um, you know, why would I want to have business done away from me? Well, you might appreciate that. And uh, I'll still be the first. Uh, next time you pick up the phone, I, I might be the first one you call because you trust me. Um. And uh, that's that's what I that's what I hope to to uh, instill in the clients and the trust that I have with them. And it, it's not built overnight; it's it's built over time. So, and the research guy, the research person that works with you, then his role is to what to re- like you said, uh, deep knowledge of the credit that's being traded for whatever reason. Yes, well, that's the other thing too. When you have, uh, in generally historically. Uh, you know what you're doing with a research analyst, since they, like I've mentioned, will have encyclopedic knowledge of either you know of a particular name uh, and within an industry, um, and they may publish some some research analysts publish research and some don't, but the majority that that do publish research, their ideas, you know, they come up with some ideas uh, or have an inter- a, a different slant on, on a company. Or equity analysts might have a earnings per share target for them and a, and a share target um you know a a, a, a debt a, a credit analyst might might say you know how well the debt is collateralized if it's barely priced uh and uh we'll be analyzing more cash flow mm. uh but that could drive the research generally gets paid for by you know if if somebody's using my research at from my firm uh, to, and they find it interesting. They should be calling me to, to help um, to, to help do trades uh, because if they find value in my that, that that's how I should get paid back is by them throwing me more business. Hmm. And uh, and you had so, mentioned before the the structurer. Well, structurer, um, you know, that's, I'll use that term loosely. You have structurers. Let this from the. Um, uh, a new issue standpoint, how are you going to structure a new bond? Okay. Uh, but then there are other structured securities that, you know, Patrick, you might be fami- uh, familiar with uh, different hedging strategies where you're going to link together multiple uh, CDS contracts and maybe like a first of the fault or, or some, si- um, some some kind of um, uh, synthetic CDO, CDO and where you might be able to go long or, or short protection depending on what your portfolio needs and uh, what the type of duration you're looking at, yeah. uh, and those are very specialty uh, items. And, and there's more than that. There's you know tax structures you can do, uh, and there's there's capital reliefs. There, there's lots. Of, it's probably beyond the, the scope of this. <laughs> no, trade. no, not right now. But I mean, essentially, it's like a yeah. concerto, and you're like the the maestro, right? And you're trying to make sure the client has is happy, bring uh, the trader, keep him comfortable. Understand the research, gather structure on boards is a bit uh, so you play, and it's an important role that you play that to make sure that uh, at the end of the day, the client is happy and you've got the right information at the right time. Well, maestro, I, I wouldn't say maestro, I, I would say I prefer to call I'd be the quarterback of the relationship. Interesting, interesting if, choice of word here. Yes, okay. If I'm using, if I'm, if I'm using, um, you know, if, if, if I have the, if I'm building the right relationship with the client. Uh, I want them to call in 
and I want to know everything that's going on. And I the best the best type of trades, the best type of phone calls. I mean, you're you're making out calls all day, but the boat the the phone call you have to res- you have to respect the most is the phone call coming in because you're making alcohol going calls all day. But if someone's calling you, they're calling you for a specific reason. Uh, most likely it's to trade, but they might have a question. And if they have a question, then you know what they're involved with because the buy side, they don't have to tell you what they're doing. In fact, most of the times they don't want you to know what you're doing. So they, you don't get, um, Something is positioned, If they, for example, if they're building a large position, they might not want to telegraph to the market because then they might get bid up. So you have to be very coy on the buy side. Uh, but I also don't like the term maestro is because you can't pretend to know everything on a desk. In fact, uh, you're respected when you can say, and this is very important, just to say that, um, to, to you know, flat out say, I, I, I don't understand this. I often felt that my clients taught me the most out of out of my relationships, uh, and you know I'm responsible for uh, reading research and understanding what's going on. But if I'm doing my job right and I, I I don't pretend to know what what I'm doing, I can tell them, well, no, explain to me what you're doing here. Uh, now after that, I need to go back and I need to uh, study up and make sure I understand it. But when they do that, they they come to you with, with different types of deals, something that might be new and interesting. And um, cross-marketing in any business is very important. So if I get my client to call me and they say, well, I, I've got this interest rate problem and uh, I don't really do structured interest rates, but I know exactly where to bring them to. I'd rather ha- have them call me and deal with me through that than have them either call another bank or find a, a sales stru- uh, person or structure uh, in another part of the bank, another product that, um, that doesn't know them. Uh, you know, and I'm not going to get it away because when you deal that, this is some very highly specific stuff. So I know I'm going to have the, the right uh, professionals behind me that are going to have the right knowledge to get uh, what what they want to do. And then, of course, I can always help negotiate those prices and sizes and, and, and close the deals as well. Okay. So uh, you also mentioned the back office. So what do they do? Well, the back office, uh, number one, like probably the most important thing w- would be that they uh, they help settle trades. Uh, they do a lot more. They do marketing. They monitor risk. Uh, but without them, uh, you know, I-, I mentioned, you know, the trading book really is the, the engine, uh, the profit of the book. Uh, however, uh, if, if you can't sell trades properly or you make a mistake on a trade uh, and it doesn't pick up, that can cost you a lot of money, and there's a lot of reputation risk involved. If you can't sell a property, people pre, people may not want to trade with you. So it's extremely important that uh, that that you do that. And I always tried to stay involved, make sure that I know the back office people that are dealing with my clients, and I always set out to know the back office people uh, at my client's desk too. But I make sure that they know, like, if there's a problem, you call me first. So I know that it's around and that, that there's an issue of not something not settling. And I know where to go with it. Do they, um, do you interact, do, you, do they sit on the floor as well? Or, uh... Uh, well, typically, uh, not always. Um, sometimes they're nearby, some, sometimes they're not. But, uh, you know, they're always, everyone's just a phone call away. Uh, my experience, they, they would be located either another floor or on another um, 
another floor or uh, you know another part of uh, part of the floor. However, often now uh, they, they might be in, in a different building uh, because uh, you know just the metrics. Like if I'm if I'm a sales guy, I, I want to be in Midtown New York to be near my uh, clients, whereas the back office could be anywhere, and uh, they they're not dealing with the clients, so they really could be anywhere. They don't have to be there, but uh, it's nice when they're there and you get to see them face to face. The um, so let's let, let's talk about the uh, the interview process. Uh, we had some discussion last week, I recall, and you made some interesting and pertinent comments on what it is. What is the best way for you to present yourself during the interview for that type of a job? So what what is what is your recommendation? What 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 do you see as the best way to position yourself? Well, that's a really good question, Patrick. I've got the fortunate side um, going through grad school of uh, interviewing with a lot of top firms, and I remember that very well. But I've also been part of the hiring process at my firm. And uh, what I I see just uh, from from the other side of the desk when I'm I'm doing the hiring is that – you really got to have confidence. A lot of people come in very nervous, and you don't have to know all the answers. Uh, you just have to know how to answer them. For example, if you're asked a question that you don't know, uh, you say, well, I, I don't know this. However, if I were to guess, I would answer it this particular way. Uh, again, it's like dealing with the clients. You can't pretend to know more than you know, so you're better off doing that. And then after you answer the question, you turn it around on them. And you say, well, how would you answer that? Or how close is this answer to what you're looking for? What it does, it shows them that you're thinking and what your thinking process is. Uh, The other thing you want to do on an interview is you want to look around and see if there's any personal items, like if you're in an office or something. Always try to ask them, the interviewer, more about them than yourself because people like to talk about themselves. And if you can talk to if you can talk to them, uh, and they answer your questions, well, guess what? That leaves them less time <laughs> to ask you questions. And then at the end of the interview, yeah. you know they they feel good and they have a good feeling after you left. But what if they ask you a question you don't know? Well, yeah, that's that's a, what you do is you say, well, I'll try to. I, if I don't know this, you, you say I don't know this question. However. If I were to guess, I would try to answer it this way, and this will, these would be my assumptions. And when I say that, I would turn it on, on back onto them. Well, how would you answer this question and see how, how close you are? But I wouldn't make anything up. I certainly wouldn't. I think that's, uh, that, that's you know, because if you're wrong, they're going to know you're wrong. And you're not expected to know everything. You're, you don't learn everything about business from business school because it's more academic, and the business world it can be quite different. Correct. They, 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 it prepares you. It gets you the interview, I guess. But it's up to you then to really shine. And and in terms of the because sometimes you meet more than one uh, interviewer. Which one yeah, is the, yeah. more, the, the the one that that you have to watch out for? The, the well, senior the, guy or the the guy that you meet at the beginning? What what I found was the the interviewees, the interviewers at the beginning of the process tend to be younger. Uh, they might be just out of school and haven't gone through grad school yet. Um, and as a grad student, I always had to be careful because I, I had maybe you know six or seven years experience before I went back in. 
And uh, I had to dial it back. I had to really kind of interview to their level because they might feel intimidated or, or think I, I know everything and no one wants to hire somebody that's a know-it-all. Um, so I, I would just kind of bring it back down to a level that, that they're at, again, by asking questions and what they, you know, what they know and try to, again, turn the interview back around on them. Hmm. Um, when I got through those rounds and I dealt with senior people, I actually found those interviews easier. Um, because you can control the, you can control the interview more. It was more relaxed, and again, you just hang out. And it's it's more of a business discussion where, you know, you can ask the people like, you know, well, what are the better parts of the, you know, a bank is a, it's really a, a supermarket of financial products, and you can ask, well, well, how is this, your particular business doing relative to other businesses in the bank? Because it, it's really about opportunities that you're looking for. You want to make sure you're putting yourself in the best position to succeed. Yeah. Um, now, as far as so now you work for the firm, you've been hired. What have you seen? Uh, how has the the markets changed? Uh, have regulation impacted the business? Oh, it, as many as opportunities as they used to be. Well, that's it's. There are as many opportunities, but they're in different places. Yes, regulation has changed. Is changing it and it's going to continue. We have a new uh, uh, political regime, of course, and, and so the regulations can change again. Um, yeah, so the banks have been shrinking, and a, a, a lot of the jobs have moved into something called fintech, as you probably might be aware of, and that's really outsourcing a lot of the things that used to be done uh, in-house. And, um, you know, those you still have to under, understand the products, etc., and, and, but uh, probably like some of the most valuable skills that you might find aren't going to be, well, you need to know the finance, but how are you, how are you going to apply that to programming? Like if you want to need to program something, you, you can't program it unless you understand some of these finance things. The other thing is, is quantitative uh, skills. Th those are some of the highest desired skills right now. Um, but, they, but then again, that's not going to really get you a sales job. That's going to maybe, you know, give you a different type of role. Um, but there's, there's always going to be a need for salespeople and traders because the market's never going to go away. And I'm just, you know, informing you where the growth areas are. And, uh, you know, quantitative and, and um, programming roles are, are quite different from trading and, and sales roles. But uh, those other ones just, you know, with how technology changes and how regulation changes, you know, it's, it's driving a lot of that activity away. To, to these new businesses. So there's a lot of opportunity there, uh, but there's still opportunity within banks. But you don't have the tremendous growth that, uh, growth that we saw in the mid-2000s up to uh, 2009. Well, at least it's, uh, as we end this, this podcast, uh, we're ending, on, I guess, on a positive note. There's, there's still jobs out there. They have changed. Uh, the, the market is moving, but uh, you know, as an MBA uh, student or a graduate student, you need to adapt, and uh, that's what you you get paid for. So, um, um, Trek, uh, I, don't, I wanted to thank you for the for this time. Uh, I think it was quite interesting. I'm sure a lot of the uh, uh, undergraduate and graduate students should find this uh, uh, an interesting window on the uh, on the world of trading and i'm sure we'll have you back to discuss more in detail some other aspects of what you dealt with uh, while on the trading floor so uh, 
Patrick, it's, it's, it's been my pleasure, and uh, yeah, I'd love to help you out again. And uh, it's been a pleasure dealing with you on the, uh, you know, on, on Wall Street together. So I'm very happy to uh, to assist you and, and, and talk to you, talk to you about about some of the topics that are going on now and and uh, what's going on then, and then just how to position yourself in the future and, and how to prepare for your future in Wall Street. Thank you very much. Very good. Thank you. Thank you.